Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. All right, so this is the fourth week in our Craving Hope series. I've said it every single week. I'll say it again. We all uh, crave something, you know, whether we admit it or not. We have that desire to have more of something in our lives. You know, kids, they usually crave like more recess or more snacks. High schoolers, you might crave more technology, a later bedtime. Uh, Young adults, you might crave, you know, the the person of your dreams or the job of your dreams, depending upon what season you're in. Uh, As a parent, I crave a break from the hectic schedule at times. The Pittsburgh Steelers craving some more wins, some less drama. Yep. Now, like we've said, uh, at the end, what we're actually craving is hope. There's a, there's a deep-rooted hope that life is going to be better, life is going to be more satisfying, that all these things uh, that we're trying to add to our lives or even take away from our lives are going to give us a better life. But what we really need is Jesus. We need more of Jesus if we know Jesus, and if you don't know him, then you need him as your Lord and your Savior. All these other things aren't going to satisfy. They'll eventually disappoint us. So the more we turn our eyes to Jesus, the more we turn our eyes toward the hope that only he can supply, then we know that we're craving the right thing. So what we're gonna look at is Isaiah chapter 43 today. Uh, We've been in Isaiah these last several weeks. Just a quick reminder here. Isaiah, he was both warning and promising. He was warning Judah and Israel, the, the nation that split into two, of upcoming judgment, upcoming exile, where they would be held by different nations for many years. And then he also, when he would get into the second half of the book of Isaiah, he's also prophesying or predicting the coming of the Messiah and the deliverance of both of these nations. So like we said, there's dual meaning in many of these verses. So what I want to read to you today, we're going to stay on just these four verses in Isaiah chapter 43, the first four verses. It says, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says this, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You see how you can like fly through these things when you, like if you're on a Bible reading plan, you're like, I have Isaiah 43 through 46 today, I'm going. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. It's like you could stop at that moment and just say like, okay, do I actually believe that? Am I going through something that seems like I'm drowning in it and do I believe that he's gonna be with us? When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. Why? Because I will be with you. It's reading the Bible in context. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. But it's hot, Lord. It's hot. The promise is you won't be burned up. Do you believe it? The flames will not consume you. Do you feel like you're being consumed? Because the promise in his word says you won't. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt. Now, this is the localized prophecy and promise that happened just years after. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. 
I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. Now, can you see where Jesus is coming into play here? I traded their lives for yours, and because you are precious to me, you are honored, and I love you. We'll stop there just today. Like I mentioned, these verses have double meaning, a double fulfillment, something that was occurring in Judah and in Israel, and then also about the coming of the Lord Jesus. This double meaning, it reminds me of a joke that I read from our presbyter just a few weeks back. It says, a priest and a pastor from the local churches were standing by the side of the road holding up a sign that reads, the end is near. Turn yourself around now before it's too late. So they planned to hold up this sign as each passing car went by. Leave us alone, you religious nuts, yelled the first driver as he sped by. And from around the bend, they heard a loud screeching tires and then a big splash. So the pastor looks over at the priest and says, do you think we should just put up a sign that says the bridge is out instead? (laughs) You'll get it eventually. (laughs) Hey, words have two meanings at times, right? So when we're reading Isaiah, we need to know there is a localized context of what was happening in those nations. But when you're reading things, you say, wait, that sounds a lot like Jesus. It was Jesus. He was also prophesying about the coming of the Messiah. So when we hear words like Jacob, O Jacob and O Israel in verse one, listen, these names are representing a people group that do not deserve mercy. They don't deserve forgiveness. They don't deserve it because of their rebellion against God. And yet in his love, in his grace and in his mercy, he brought them out of that exile and he delivered them by putting enemies in the place of where they were. The second fulfillment is by Jesus. Instead of Egypt and Ethiopia being given in exchange for captivity, Christ was, right? Christ is who became our sin. Christ made the great exchange. He stood in our place so we could stand in his place. So when we see here in verse one, it says, do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. This is what Jesus did for us. Both Israel and Judah were gonna be ransomed after years in exile, but Christ also ransomed us. He said, I've called you by name and you are mine. But the command in this verse is do not be afraid. So where is that fulfilled in the New Testament? In 2 Timothy 1, 7, it says, God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity. What kind of spirit has he given us? Power, love, and self-discipline. This verse in the New Testament is is the fulfillment of this Old Testament command. Do not be afraid. So Jesus fulfills everything that wars against fear in our lives, right? The Bible's quite clear. Fear kills anointing. Fear kills courage. Fear kills creativity. If you're thinking outside the box and you're thinking big either about your life, your job, your family, ministry, whatever it is, just watch. If fear enters in, all that, all that creativity and the big vision and all those things, they go on the wayside because fear is controlling. But Jesus says, you have not been given. Actually, in Timothy, it says, you have not been given this type of a spirit. Not one that fears and not one that's timid. But it says of power and of love and of self-discipline. So how do we do this? How's the replacement come? In the Old Testament, if they were rebellious against God and they were under that fear, that curse, uh, how do we get out of that? How do we get the the spirit that is no longer fearful or timid? It's by being born again, right? When we're born again, we receive the spirit of God within us. So we're born into the kingdom of God. We receive his very spirit. 
walking and breathing with us that no longer has to live under fear. So how does that happen? In Ephesians chapter one, it says this, God decided in advance. Think about this. He thought about you before you were ever even created. I love this. It's not because you did so many good things for him, he decided to bring you in. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. How? By bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. Now think about that. It's like God picked each one of us out before we were ever created, and then Jesus signed the adoption papers with his blood. So he decided in advance to bring you into his family through the blood of Jesus. It goes on in verse five to say this. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Think about that. Like You're you're not getting on Jesus' nerves. You're not irritating Jesus. Do you ever think about that? Like that your actions and your attitudes are somehow irritating him, rubbing the wrong way against him? No, it says that God... It gave God great pleasure to choose you in advance to come into his family, which is his kingdom. So in verse six, it says, we praise God for the glorious grace that he poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. Your translation might say that he ransomed us. It's the payment that was made by Jesus for our sins on the cross. It says he ransomed us with the blood of his son and forgave us our sins. Uh, Chris Burgess, one of our members here, one of our deacons here, he texted me last week and then shared with me today that he's sensing that some of you are actually walking in the guilt of Jesus dying on the cross for you. And it might seem absurd to some of you, but it it is what the Jewish people uh, felt that is as they were beginning to believe, they're saying, wait a minute, we sent him to the cross? And actually you can wear guilt from that then. I sent, my sin sent Jesus? But when you read these verses in context, it's saying that it, got, it, it, it was from God's great pleasure to do this. Are you with me? The creator of all the world had pleasure in saying, I'm going to come in the form of a man and give up my own life as Jesus for the sin of mankind. So this wasn't your idea, right? You didn't ask Jesus to go on the cross. This was, Jesus, this was God's plan from before the foundations of the earth. There's no reason to wear any guilt, condemnation, or any of that. You walk in the freedom because he chose you. And he's pleased that he chose you because he chose you in advance. And the cross-reference of that is back in Isaiah 43, 3, where it says, I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, right? I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. This is where the exchange was made. This is where the ransom was paid, right? These nations, what they did is they attacked Persia, but they were eventually defeated and they became a ransom or a payment for the freedom of Judah and Israel. So now for Christ, what he did is he put himself in our place as a ransom. So think about this. In exchange for you, God subjected Jesus to the grave. And in exchange for you, Jesus was over, overcame the grave. Both of those are necessary for us to be able to walk in victory. It's really quiet in here. Does this make sense? In exchange for us, right? So our sin no longer stood in the way of our relationship with God. 
God subjected Jesus to the grave through the cross. It was in that same exchange that Jesus actually overcame the grave. So now death holds, has no more hold over us. So it says, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? There's none once you're in Jesus Christ. I love what it says here. It says that God has called you by name. He says, you are mine. I've used this example before, but it just comes to my mind because maybe, maybe it's something that you haven't related to. But back in elementary school, even into middle school, when we would uh, pick for teams, whether it was kickball or volleyball or, or um, dodgeball, whatever it was, we would always have the entire, uh, uh, the entire class lineup. How many else have ever been in this lineup before? Right? And I was like a decent athlete, but I'm telling you, my stomach started hurting <laughs> as soon as that lineup was made. Because what happened? The two captains would stand out there. Everybody else would be in a line. That first person to get picked, it feels good. Kurt, I'll take you. Jessica, I'll take you. Brian, I'll take you. Yeah, you know, you're walking over. Until there's like three or four left. Right? I was that person too before too. And you could see the shoulders are starting to go down. Head's starting to go down. Maybe you can relate to this if it was you. Well, we used to do it at West Mifflin. I don't know if you guys did it, but the last like four didn't even get called by name. They were like, they, they started like bartering. Well, you know, who's this? Okay, I'll take you guys. Okay, and you, you two can go over there. That's not how God operates, right? God's saying, I chose you like in advance. And I wasn't just like, I'll take this whole section in advance. He actually called you by name. So in his kingdom, there's nobody left here. There's no last person. There's no, okay, we'll take this bunch and you can have this bunch. He's actually calling you out by name in advance saying, you are mine, you are mine, you are mine, you are mine, you are mine. And it's with that revelation that fear has to go. So when all the junk is still happening in your life, but you realize, wait a minute, the creator of all creation called me by name before I was ever even created. In advance, he chose you. Anyone that would call on the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. So you're th you think you're picking him, but he picked you first. This salvation was my idea. I wanted to give my life to him. No, he called you first. It's the only way that you can come to the Lord is by the unction of the Holy Spirit. You may have been the last person picked for every single game. God called you by name in advance, and it was his great pleasure. Amen? Amen. Amen. I love the imagery that Isaiah puts in this. In verse two, it says this. He's talking about deep waters. He's talking about rivers of difficulty. He's talking about fire of oppression. So what he's doing, he's using this imagery here to allow the Israelites to actually picture something very tangible. Two of these things they already had history with. One of them is in the future. So think about this. When they heard stories about the people crossing over the Red Sea and the Jordan River during the Exodus that happened in the book of Exodus, right? Moses led them out. They were, they were in exile in Egypt. This was their first exile. They get delivered from this. They walked through the Red Sea. They walked through the Jordan River. And yet God was with them and they didn't drown. So when these people, when these people who were rebellious against God hear Isaiah saying, you're going to go through deep waters and rivers of difficulty, but I'll be with you and you won't drown. These are promises that they get to hold on to because God had already done it in the life of that nation. And when you look at the fire of oppression, that what, it didn't happen yet with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It was about 80 years later. But once that happened, 
And for the generations to come, as people read this, they would see, wow, God was in the fire with them and it did not consume them and they weren't burned. So this first portion I wanna look at, it says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. You know, it's scary. I, I don't know about you, but I get nervous when I'm like all by myself in water, like in deep water. I don't like really, really, really deep water. Not like a great swimmer. My family and I, we used to go on vacation to Ocean City every year. We'd like, you know, boogie boards, those little boards you'd like ride waves in and so on. Every so often I would like drift out like a little bit too far. And it seems like the water gets colder like as you get out deeper. And I was probably, I don't know, 40 feet out. I wasn't far out at all, but I'd feel like, okay, the sharks are gonna get me now. Like my, my toes would start wiggling and everything. And meanwhile, there's like people probably from here like to the third pew. <laughs> But I used to feel so alone out there. And you do, it's like you could be like in, in a lake or something and feel like sharks are gonna attack you because the water's cold and you're getting deep. But I remember just feeling so far out there, like nobody's with me, nobody's watching me. Okay, I'm just gonna drown out here. But I don't know if it would have been my uncle or my cousin, Tony. You know, eventually I, I know a few times they had to swim out and kind of pull me back in by the leash. And it wasn't until like the contact was made, right? That I would, okay, somebody's with me now. I'm gonna be okay, I'm not all by myself, right? That's how some people might feel in this situation right here. You feel like you're going through deep waters and you feel like you're all by yourself. And what scripture is saying is God is looking at you. His eyes are on you. He hasn't forgot about you. Remember, he called you by name. So the Israelites, like I already said, they went through the deep waters when they were delivered from slavery out of Egypt in the book of Exodus. The enemy was chasing them down. If you remember this, Moses and all the Israelites, they're caught between Egypt, the Egyptian, uh, Pharaoh and his soldiers were coming in and then the Red Sea uh, was before them. And I love what he says in, in Exodus 14, verse 19, it says this. The angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved, he'd been leading them. It says he moved to the rear of the camp. Then it says the pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them, that the cloud settled between the Egyptians and the Israelites. So the presence of God, it wasn't just leading them and protecting them, it was actually coming behind them now too, meaning the presence of God was surrounding them completely. I think some of you need to get that image in your mind today, right? You feel like the enemy's attacking you and you have a deep water in front of you and say, listen, if the Lord's leading you to the waters, he's going to walk you through the waters. He's not gonna lead you somewhere and then not be with you. But not only is he not gonna just be with you, he's actually gonna protect you from behind as well and he's gonna surround you. Isaiah 52, I'm not gonna read the whole verse here, but it says that the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. That's something good to know, right? Like the Holy Spirit's not just leading you somewhere and leading you through difficulty, but he's actually behind you, protecting you. He's fully aware of what the enemy's trying to do in your life. And what we see here is Moses was able to raise his staff. They were able to go through on dry ground. And as Pharaoh and all the uh, Egyptians came into that water, it says that God caused a great confusion and their wheels were getting all twisted. And eventually the enemy was destroyed. Now remember this, in the new covenant, the enemy is not people. Right? It's very easy to read this like, yeah, that person's being mean. Lord, drown them in the water. Let me go across on dry ground, but get them. No, that's not new covenant. This is a picture. The old covenant's a picture. What was warring between people is what the war is in the spirit realm. 
So we're warring against a spirit realm through the power of the Holy Spirit. You with me? You guys are quiet today. How did Jesus fulfill this? Jesus says, when he's actually giving us the great commission in Matthew 28, 20, says, and be sure of this, be sure of this, be sure of this. I will be with you always, or I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How is that possible? Well, in John 14, 16, he taught how. If Jesus is about to ascend, he's like, hey guys, I'm gonna be with you. I'm always gonna be with you till the end of the age. See you later. And then he goes up to be with the Father. Right? That seems a little bit awkward. But in John 14, 16, he says he's gonna ask the Father and the Father's gonna give him an advocate right? The Holy Spirit, who we talked about this entire summer, who will never leave you, and he won't forsake you. It says, he is the Holy Spirit who leads you into truth. So when you're in the deep waters and you're realizing, who's with me? No, Jesus is with you. The Father's with you. The Holy Spirit's with you. The Holy Spirit is in you, and he's leading you into truth. What's truth? God's word, God's voice. It's turning you back to verses like Isaiah 43, one and two, saying, do not be afraid. In deep waters, I will be with you. That's the truth, right? Your paranoia, your panic, your anxiety that nobody loves me anymore and nobody's with me and how am I gonna make it through? That's a lie. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. The voice of the Holy Spirit is leading you into truth that I will be with you. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. The second phrase says, when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. So 40 years after the exodus from Egypt, back in the book of Exodus, now we're into Joshua chapter three. You don't have to turn there. I'm just gonna reference it. The Israelites are all the way through the wilderness and they're about to cross uh, the Jordan River. They're about to press into the promised land. And if you remember, there were very few Israelites at that time that thought this is gonna be successful. Right, God had to really uh, encourage them in that season. They're saying, listen, these guys are giants. This is gonna be too difficult. They're gonna annihilate us. They're about to cross through this river and they go into the promised land and begin conquering region after region after region, one at a time. But it says in verse 17 of Joshua 3, something unique that happened here. As the Israelites were crossing the Jordan River. It says that the priests who held the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God, they stayed in the middle of the river the entire time they passed through. That's such a great image. When you're reading this verse together and you're saying, wait, in the deep waters, I will be with you. In the rivers of difficulty, they already know their people went through this. It says, you will not drown. And they start to think back and say, wait, how did that happen? How did they go through this river, even though that they knew difficulty was ahead of them? And they knew that the presence of God, that Ark of the Covenant stood right in the middle of that river until everybody was through to safety, through safety. And it says here, after they crossed over the Jordan, what did God command them to do? Take 12 stones and create a memorial to remember what has happened. Why? So in future generations, kids will ask, hey, daddy, what's that big pile of rocks? Son, let me tell you about a time where God performed a miracle. God gave me a tongue twister. Maybe you'll remember it when you're struggling with a promise. I believe that God's past practice 
prophesies promise. God's past practice, it prophesies promise. It says it in Revelation, right? The spirit or the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when we talk about what Jesus has done in the past, it prophesies what Jesus is willing to and will do again in the future. So this is what Isaiah was doing. He was saying, hey, this is God's past practice. It should be prophesying promise to you that when you're, you're about to go through some deep waters and you're about to go through a quite wide river of difficulty, but God will be with you and you will not drown. Well, how do I know that? Well, do you still have breath in your lungs? Have you drowned yet? No. Right? Have you been broke yet where you just couldn't pay anything else or couldn't eat? No, he's always provided at least something. Okay, that should be a testimony that he's going to provide in the future. Right? You were able to come into church and sit down and listen to a message and not be persecuted and not, you know, not, not be beat for coming in here. God has done amazing things through your life already. That's what we need to do. This is what Isaiah is doing. He's looking at past practice, past nature of God, past activity of God. And he's allowing that to prophesy the promise that is in the future for Israel. Does it the same with us through Jesus as well? So listen, if Jesus can walk on water, he can save you from drowning. Right? So Peter's walking out. He's like, I want to get out. Peter's walking out to him, takes his eye off Jesus and starts to drown. Does Jesus say, you idiot, keep your eyes on me. Right? I told you, I knew. See, you always put your foot in your mouth. You talk too much. Just be quiet and get back in the boat. What did he do? He reached out and he picked him up. I'm telling you, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that Isaiah is prophesying in these verses. You never pictured Jesus saying idiot before, did you? <laughs> yep. So Isaiah's talking about deep waters, rivers of difficulty. These are all in bad context. So let me share some things of what Jesus truly is to us. Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the river of water. Jesus is the well of water springing up to eternal life. He is the spring of salvation and he is the water of life. So when we think of these situations, these are difficult times, these are deep waters. I feel like I'm drowning in life. Listen, if you're picturing an image of something that's bad, how did Jesus redeem that, right? A deep water, no, listen, he is, he is the spring. He is the well that's within us. He is the eternal water, the living water, the river of God. So now we don't have to think of like, okay, I'm, I'm afraid of deep water. No, I want to jump in the river. I want to jump in the deep waters of the Lord and let him take me deeper and deeper with him. Amen? The last phrase I'm going to go over, and uh, Adam and the band, you guys can come up. In verse two, it says, when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. I already mentioned this. At this time, it was still 80 years, approximately 80 years before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had ever been thrown into the fire for not bowing down to King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not saying that he is prophesying that specific situation. What I'm saying is as soon as that situation happened, these verses have a brand new meaning and a brand new promise to the Israelites who would read this forevermore in future generations. So what happens is Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they, they disobey the king. They're not gonna bow down to him. They only bow down to the Lord. So Nebuchadnezzar turns up the furnace seven times hotter than usual. He throws them in. 
He didn't want to because he, he, they had favor with him in his eyes before this situation. And in Daniel 3.25, it says, look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men. Many believe to be that fourth man in the fire being Jesus himself. It says unbound. I see four men unbound, though three of them went in bound. It says walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a God. In verse 27, it says, not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. This is my favorite verse out of this entire context. It says, they didn't even smell of smoke. Come on. Like seven times hotter than what would have killed somebody as soon as they were thrown in. And like God's like, hey, listen, I'm, not, I'm gonna get them out with some, some scorched stuff so they can have that old shirt with the hole in it and remember how God did things. And you know, the soles on their shoes and stuff were, were melted because of the heat and they can remember me. No, he's saying, listen, their clothes aren't gonna be touched. And you know what? They're not even gonna smell like smoke. I love that. You know what that prophesies to me? The Lord gave me three specific things today. And maybe, maybe, maybe the Lord will do it in another era, but three specific things I feel like in my heart. One is postpartum depression. A second one is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And the third one uh, was sexual assault. I feel like the Lord gave me those three areas that he's saying, listen, if I can literally take three men in a blazing furnace and they can come out not even smelling like smoke, you know what that means? Is there's no residue from the fire of oppression. Are you following me? That means they get to walk out and they're like, nothing, nothing. And they get to use that as a promise to prophesy future promises the rest of their life. So I just feel like the Lord was whispering that this week. Postpartum depression, PTSD, and sexual assault. That the Lord's saying he doesn't want any more residue to be on you. He wants you to be able to walk in forgiveness for the ones that hurt you. And maybe you came forward last week and, and smashed that gavel down. I still have him in my office and I'll bring it out today if you need it today. But I feel like he's just saying that is he wants those three areas to be able to walk out of here today, not smelling like, looking like, feeling like that has ever happened to you today. So I wasn't planning on doing this, but if that is you, I just want you to stand up. You don't have to say what it's for. I'm not gonna call you out. If, you, if one of those three things affects you, just stand up quickly. I wanna pray right now. You don't have to be embarrassed. This is a church family. I just wanna pray. All right, church, come on and pray with me right now. Father, we just pray in Jesus' mighty name that you would perform miracles even just right now. Father, we call out postpartum depression and we just ask for the wind of the Holy Spirit to come and blow off the residue and blow off the stench and blow off the guilt and blow off the condemnation and even blow off the fear that it might happen again. And God, we pray these women that have gone through this, that they would be able to walk out of here completely free from guilt, condemnation, fear, that they would not smell like, look like, feel like they've ever gone through this before. And Holy Spirit, only you can do that. So we ask God, even as you blew into Adam, and Jesus, as you blew on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, we pray that the Holy Spirit would come and blow across them even right now. And Father, we come and we call out PTSD. We call out this thing that can affect you in a moment's notice, God. 
whatever these individuals, a certain sound, a certain sight, a certain smell, God, that can completely change their day. That's not your will, Lord. So God, we just pray that your love and your acceptance and your grace and your mercy would fall upon them. And Father, I pray these situations that happened in the past that have caused this, God, your word says that you will blot out our sins and you will remember them no more. And if you are able to do that, then you're able to wipe away a memory that has caused PTSD in these folks' lives. God, that you would wipe the, the effects of this memory away, that they'd be able to use it as, an, as a toll against the enemy in other people's lives. That they'd be able to say, listen, I've faced this, I've suffered this, I've gone through this, but God has got me through it. Look, smell, I don't even smell like it anymore. We pray right now, God, again, that just that covering, that mercy and that grace just fall on those that have struggled with this. We pray for healing right now in Jesus' name. And Father, we call out sexual assault and sexual abuse right now. Father, I don't say that lightly, God. This affects people for the rest of their lives and we understand the gravity of this sin. But God, you, you are God. You are the Lord, our Savior. So Father, I come right now and I ask you humbly to come and heal both physically, physical scars that might be on bodies because of this. And I pray that you would heal emotionally. I pray, Father, that you would bind up their soul even right now. Lord Jesus, that you would bring people that have hurt them that they might be holding on to unforgiveness with, just bring them right up, right up in front of their eyes and allow them for forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness to flow even right now. Allow forgiveness to flow, forgiveness to flow and souls to be healed. For these wounds to be healed physically and emotionally, that their heart be healed, Lord Jesus. And Father, we thank you that it is your will for them to be able to walk forward in your grace, whole and healthy and not even smelling like smoke. We thank you for that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you all stand with me? We've already said, listen, water, the river of God, right? The eternal spring welling up. Well, fire is not always bad either, right? We need fire to cook. We need fire to heat things. And it lights our way. It is his word being a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. The Bible says that God is an all-consuming fire. What does that do? It refines us. It purifies us. It redeems us. It takes all of the junk that is in our life and just burns it away so that all that is left is a redeemed soul for Christ Jesus, right? It's the great exchange, Christ on the cross, so that we could have everlasting life. Maybe you've always looked at like the, the fire as something that the devil does, but the fire of God is a purifying, refining fire. The Bible also says that Jesus comes to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. So with all heads bowed, eyes closed, if there's anybody in this room that has not ever had your sins burned away, washed away, taken away because of the blood of Jesus, or if you feel like, listen, 
I know the Lord, I know Jesus is my Lord, but I'm far from him and I feel like all this junk has added back up into my life. And I want that fire, that all-consuming, refining fire to simply touch me again. I just want you to raise your hand. If you wanna accept him as the very first time or rededicate, I see both of your hands. That's good, any other hands? Anybody that wanna accept Jesus for the very first time? I see this hand in the back, thank you, Jesus. I see this hand here and in the back. Come on, Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Anyone else? Just a, if you would just want that fire of God to just come and rest upon you. First time of rededicate. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I see your hand all the way in the back too. You can put it down now. Thank you, Lord. This is what we're gonna do. For those of you, we're not even gonna pray over you today. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna jump in the river of God. You're like, oh, geez, we gotta jump in church now. You can choose to do it. If you feel like you're in a deep water, in a river of difficulty or in the fire of oppression, if you know he's with you, then you can step out of it and get into his river, right? If you know he's with you, then you can step out and say, God, just burn this away. Take this away, right? Altar team, I will ask that you stay here after service for people who want specific prayer. What I'm asking today, so if you're bold enough, if you say, listen, I know I, I feel like I'm just drowning a little bit in an area, I'm in a river of difficulty or I'm under some type of fire of oppression. Or if you're saying, listen, I just wanna go deeper with God. I wanna jump in the river. What I want you to do is just meet me down here. We're gonna end this service celebrating and then we will be here to pray. So come on down. If you wanna jump in the river, let Jesus touch your life today. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.